Tonight's scripture reading is from John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it is neither, neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he deal, dwells in you and will be with, with you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The word of the Lord. Paraclete, paraclete, paraclete. What in the world is a paraclete? I mean, in other New Testament books, a phenomenon matching the description of the paraclete is called the Holy Spirit. So is this John's word for the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Paraclete? Well, I don't want to make that leap right away. I don't want to make that leap right away because, well, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is sort of well known. The Holy Spirit is uh, well known to be kind of complicated or misunderstood, or it means a lot of things. There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes in the room when you say Holy Spirit, and I frankly don't want to deal with all of that. So I'm just going to uh, say maybe you know that even though the descriptions of the attributes of the Holy Spirit are all over the map in, in, in John, you know, even John starts out right in the beginning of the book, he says, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So as with everything that is born of the Spirit, it's too much. I mean, what does that mean? Like magnets, how do they work? So anyway... I want to hold off on making the immediate connections between the paraclete and the Holy Spirit. I want to hold off just so I don't have to think of all those things that go along with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pretend that I don't have any clue that the paraclete and the Holy Spirit might possibly, probably are the same thing. I'm going to will myself through my own intellectual strength to forget for the next 10 to 12 minutes, everything I might have heard or known about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just, you know, say, I'm going to come across this paraclete thing fresh. Like I'm walking down Selby Avenue at Snelling, and I happen to glance up and see a, an establishment, and the sign on it reads, uh, Starbucks. And I'm like, I'm going to think like, well, I wonder what sort of establishment that might be. I'm going to pretend that I don't know anything or have never said anything about this Starbucks and look at it to see what it possibly might hold. So here I'm just reading along in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, and I come across this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask my Father, and he will send you another paraclete, 
to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Another paraclete already? Another paraclete. Hmm. That sure is a curious phrase, another paraclete. I wonder what this paraclete is. And if God's going to send another one, well, who's the first one? The word paraclete is such an odd word in the New Testament, occurring actually only in John's writings, and in this particular form is unknown outside of the gospel. So translating the word is varied and difficult. It sometimes is translated as advocate or comforter or one who is alongside. And there's a lot of like even legal connotations to it, which is, I don't know, I just don't want to get involved in that. Um, But it always seems to have some notion of some presence or alongside, some witness to it. So, so then um, we've got... We get this part next that comes out is about the world and the world not being able to see this paraclete, the world. But I can see him, right? Because um, this is what John says. The world can't see him, but I can see him. And I always get uncomfortable. And I've asked John not to do this before. I get uncomfortable when these divisions between me and the world come up. You know? Like this division between the world and the followers of Jesus. Because I don't want to say I'm better or claim any status, or set up a us-and-them kind of a thing, because us-and-them just never really sounds like Jesus, let alone paraclete. The world will not recognize the paraclete. Well, why not? Why won't the world recognize the paraclete? Because the world is bad, and I will recognize the paraclete because I am good? Well, I don't know what's meant here exactly by the world, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of things about the world I like. I think are pretty good. Like San Francisco. My neighborhood. I mean, in all the places and all the people that go along with San Francisco in my neighborhood. I don't want to say that that's bad. You know? And on the other side of this whole thing, too, I'm not really that good. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I'm that good. I don't think I'm that... I don't think I'm good enough to see the paraclete here. I mean, especially compared to some of the people I've met in San Francisco and in my neighborhood. They're really good. And besides, doesn't Jesus say at the beginning of this book that I haven't come into this world to condemn it, but to save it? And I know he wasn't just talking about saving San Francisco. You know, people are always saying that he's got this special love for San Francisco. I think he meant the whole world. I feel like I'm on both sides of this. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm like a lover of the world. I'm sorry, I am. I have a lot more experience with the world. And you know what? I'm not really 100% sure that I can see the paraclete. I don't know. It's kind of an odd thing to start talking about um, if this is some kind of a spirit, a spirit of truth. Isn't it kind of a crazy thing to start talking about seeing a spirit? Recognizing a spirit? It's always like this with ghosts, like when people say they saw a ghost, even they're not 100% convinced what that even is. It's sort of an amorphous thing. 
I see this thing that is not material. How do you recognize it? What are you sure you're seeing? Maybe it's, uh, it's your cat in the other room knocking something over. I don't know. Or the house settling. Or you're inebriated. That could be, I don't know, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me get back to the text. Jesus is leaving. And God is going to send another paraclete to be with the disciples and to dwell among them and to be in them. Another paraclete. What is this about? So I read around and I try and find some clues and it turns out that a similar sort of thing happens to this scene from time to time in the history of Israel. The pattern sort of goes like this. God sends a revolutionary leader... A deliverer or a prophet comes to shake things up, to shine a light on the faces of the people and get them to see themselves and cause them back, cause them back to be their place with God, to be reconciled in the love of God and to live with God and live in that way of love. Revolutionary. And now when that revolutionary leader leaves, the revolutionary leader passes on his spirit to an individual that will carry on the work that will bear witness to the revolutionary message. Passes his spirit on to a follower, and that follower carries on the work and continues to proclaim the revolutionary message and interpret it to others. You see that with Moses and Joshua. Before Moses leaves, he lays hands on Joshua, and Joshua is filled with the spirit, and the spirit enables Joshua to carry on in Moses' way. Also, when the great prophet Elijah leaves, he gives Elisha a double portion of his spirit. And that spirit enables Elisha to carry on the revolution. I think a similar thing maybe is going on here with Jesus. This section of John's gospel is called the last discourse. It's sort of Jesus' farewell address. And Jesus is telling his followers that he is going away, but he will ask the Father to send another paraclete to dwell with them and in them. This is a spirit of truth, and the spirit will enable them to carry on the revolution, to carry on his message, his work. And what is this work of Jesus? We can find it simply, clearly in John. God loves the world, sends Jesus not to condemn the world, but to reconcile the world. And Jesus comes to reconcile the world, and Jesus comes with a new commandment. Love one another. Love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another. And it's only through the indwelling of this paraclete that we are able to do this. So in the same way that God sent Jesus, the first paraclete, the one along with us, God sends another paraclete, the spirit of truth to the disciples so they can carry out the commandment of Jesus and carry on the work of Jesus to proclaim it to the world, to love one another. So unlike Moses and Elijah, Jesus does not give this spirit, pass on his spirit to an individual, but to a community of his followers. When Jesus says the Father is sending another paraclete to you, that you is plural. So the task of carrying on the work of Jesus, of bearing witness to this message he proclaims, falls not on an individual, but the community of Jesus' followers. 
to which sometimes we claim to be the inheritors. In this community, the spirit of truth reveals Jesus and calls us to continue that work. Is it too simple a truth that we are called and empowered by the indwelling of this paraclete to love one another and in that way reconcile the world? 